Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Are you ready to unlock the full potential and growth in your business? You've already crossed seven figures in sales, but the challenge is knowing how to take your business to the next level. Join Josh Hadley, an eight-figure e-com business owner and investor, as he interviews highly successful business owners. Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world. Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview top business leaders in e-commerce. Today, I'm speaking with Rich Goldstein of Goldstein Patent Law, and we will be talking a lot about protecting your product with patents and trademarks and other intellectual property. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Rich, I started Hadley Designs, as you know, back in 2015, and I grew it to an eight-figure brand in seven years. But I certainly made a lot of mistakes along the way that made the path to getting to eight figures take a little bit longer. At times, I doubted whether my business could survive or even become a real brand. I wish I would have had a guide to help me grow faster and avoid a lot of those stumbling blocks that I encountered. If any of our listeners have hit a similar plateau and want to know the next steps to take their business to the next level, then go visit ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to our podcast listeners, I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. Email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com with the subject line strategy audit and tell me why your business should win the free strategy audit. And don't worry if you don't win the strategy audit this go round, you're going to be entered in for future drawings for that strategy session. But today I'm excited to introduce to you Rich Goldstein who is on a mission to connect, protect, and educate. He helps small businesses, startups, and in e-commerce and digital marketers and inventors in their quest to obtain patent protection. Along with his team of attorneys, he counsels individual inventors and startups regarding the best, best steps to take for patent protection and when patent protection is available. Over the past 28 years, he has obtained more than 2,000 patents for his clients and Rich is the host of the Innovations and Breakthroughs podcast and is the author of Consum the Consumer Guide to Obtaining a Patent, published by the American Bar Association. So, Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Josh. Thanks, thanks for the warm introduction and, um, and really great to be on your podcast. Well, likewise, Rich is somebody that we've worked with for quite a while now. And, Rich, I'm happy to say that we are a part of that number of 2,000 plus, you know, patent, uh, successful and, and patents counting. that you've been able to obtain and counting, right? And counting. Yep. So thank you for your help in helping us get some of those design patents that we've received for our business. So Rich, Rich is the man. Absolutely. My pleasure. It's really exciting to see kind of what we're creating there, um, in your company in terms of, uh, asset value and protection, um, uh, you know, against competitors. So, um, it, it's really cool. And someday we'll, we'll do a, um, you know, a Harvard business um, case study of some kind, uh, uh, to, uh, you know, to, to take a look at what we've created here. Uh, I think it's pretty awesome. Well, I think that's the hope for both you and I, that we're creating some significant value in the long run. Now, Rich, I shared this on previous podcast episodes as I shared some of the mistakes that I've made along my journey 
one of those mistakes that I've made was not getting IP protection whatsoever for many of our products for four years, right? We literally went for in our business for four years before, you know, you and I fortunately met and you're like, dude, you've got to start doing something here. And we had a great conversation. And now that we started getting copyrights issued for all of our products and then design bat design patents for some of our products, it's allowed us to actually protect more of our products because prior to that, as many sellers know, as soon as you launch a product on Amazon, it's months, you know, sometimes as quick as a month later, sometimes three to six months later, you've got somebody copying your idea and being able to have something to protect yourself and even potentially get some of those other people knocked off or, you know, shut down their listings. I think is essential, especially as Amazon and e-commerce in general becomes more and more competitive. Would you agree with that, Rich? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And and it's funny. You mentioned that like you, um, you can put something up there for a month and then you'll find the competition. And it's, it's almost as if, well, I mean, it is as if there are tools that say, you know, copy this or copy that. There are analytics tools that, that, that point people in the direction of you when you're doing well. And so it's uh, it's almost as if you the software telling people copy this guy, uh, you know, and and so it really is uh, important to create as much of a moat as possible around um, um, around what you're doing to prevent other people from from copying you. Um, and um, uh, you know, it's interesting too. Like in your case, like a lot of your products are kind of content oriented. That copyrights are are, are an option. Um, for a lot of product ideas, copyrights are not really an option. They don't really provide, um, you know, copyrights don't pro- provide protection for ideas. They provide protection for content type expression. Uh, yeah. And then design patents, which you mentioned too, are for the ornamental appearance for a product, the um, the look of a product. Uh, and um, I'd say that design patents are an issue for a lot, or not an issue, are an option for a lot of uh, sellers. Like if you have a product that has a unique look to it, then design patents are a good way to prevent other people from knocking you off by making a product that looks just like yours. So, um, you know, they're both effective tools uh, for protecting you on Amazon. So, yeah, I agree with all of that. Yeah. So, Rich, why don't you give people kind of a lay of the land as if maybe they haven't heard much about, you know, IP protection. What, What are the types of protection that people can get? You, we just spoke about copyrights and design patents, but why don't you share with the audience that what is a utility patent and what's a trademark and what are the differences? When is the right time to use each of those different, you know, types of protection for the business? Absolutely. And, and so um, trademarks and patents differ in the type of thing that they protect. So if you're talking about a product and what makes a product unique, then you're talking about a patent. If you're talking about branding and the things that consumers look for to know that you are a, a, a certain company, that know that that uh, that this product is coming from a certain um, source or a certain company, then that's uh, what a trademark is for. So like the type of things that you, when you look at and you say, oh, that's a Nike product. Or if you um, if you see a can of, of soft drink in a store, you say, oh, that's Coca-Cola based upon the the name based upon the writing style on the can based upon the color scheme like those elements are all what are protected with trademarks and just to kind of 
um, um, deal with trademarks first. Um, I think trademarks are a no-brainer for every Amazon seller. You should have a brand, uh, and uh, you should get that brand uh, protected. And so getting that brand name protected means getting a registered trademark, getting a trademark application filed with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. And, um, and then once you have the trademark filed, you can submit for brand registry through Amazon. And that's kind of how you effectively protect that. Yeah, and the trademark is essential on Amazon. Everybody, if you're not on brand registry, I mean, that, that should be on your top to-do list here because there's so many features. You know, you're going to get brand analytics data. You're going to be able to dive into, you know, your keywords in ways that would kind of blow your mind at this point if you don't have access to that data. So getting brand registry, yeah, what's required is, is simply having a registered trademark but I believe they are also except, you know, sometimes if it's in pending status, right, even if you've applied for that. And do you help Amazon sellers with that, Rich? And maybe even international protection as well, I think, is something we should talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in terms of um, um, getting brand registry on Amazon, yes, I mean, once you have applied for the trademark, then you can submit within your seller account for brand registry. Um, and uh, it's kind of like they will give you brand registry status and give you access to those tools, uh, but you can't enforce the the trademark until it actually gets approved. Uh, and they will take away the status if it turns out that your application gets rejected and goes abandoned. So, um, the, so it's kind of like you get a bit of a, a temporary brand registry status with access to the tools while the mark is pending. But really what you need to do is just to make sure that that mark gets registered in a way that it's enforceable. Um, and um, so just in terms of applying for a trademark, it's possible to apply for your own trademark. It's possible to use one of these, um, uh, you know, um, non-lawyer tools like, um, um, like LegalZoom. Uh, and I would say going one of those routes, like you probably get it right about half the time. Um, and the other half of the time you'll either need to fix some things or maybe it won't be fixable and you'll have to start over again. Um, and these days it's taking about a year and a half to get a trademark. So you don't wow. want to have to start over again. Um, yeah. you know, the trademark office is actually really backed up right now, uh, from a lot of, a lot of applications that have been filed. Um, a lot of them from overseas. And, um, so it takes quite a while to have it go through. Um, and then also like um, how the trademark uh, uh, trademarks are very nuanced. And so how the trademark is done, it might be very simple to file the trademark, but there are nuances that can make a difference with protection in the long run. Um, so yeah, all, we you know, all even... told it might cost a few thousand dollars to have someone handle it well. And it's, it's probably worth it. Yeah. And I think there's even a couple differences within trademarks, right? You have your standard character mark. Then you kind of have just like the image or, or logo appearance, right? And what, yes. what should people be striving for? Yeah. So um, in general, what you want to get is the word mark. The word mark is for the name, um, regardless of what style that name is written in or what font or what logo it's associated with. Like you want to have that name protected. Um, so that's like the most important protection. Beyond that, once you have that, like if you do have a, a distinctive way in which the um, your mark is presented, in other words, you've got a logo that's pretty distinctive looking, you might want to protect that logo separately. 
Uh, and the advantage of that is that even if someone uses a different word, something that wouldn't be confused with your word mark, with the name of your um, the name of your brand, but it looks close enough that people would be confused. That's where the logo mark, that's where the logo trademark would come into play. That's where it would help. Um, so primary is to get the word mark, and then secondary to that is to get a design mark or or a logo mark. Yeah. That makes sense. And I think backing up to what you were talking about earlier, Rich, is it better to kind of like do this on your own or go seek like an actual lawyer like yourself that has experience in applying for and receiving trademarks? Um, that was one of the mistakes that we made when we first uh, were acquiring our trademark. So I went I had a buddy that was a lawyer. Now, he was not experienced in trademark, uh, you know, issues or IP, things like that. But he had he was a lawyer. Right. And so I wanted to have a lawyer, you know, on the the application status. Right. With the USPTO. But long story short, because he didn't he wasn't well versed in the trademark arena. We applied for our um, trademark and the brands Hadley Designs. Right. But the when we applied, like we filed it under my wife's name, Rebecca Hadley. Well, the challenge was we could not get it registered on the primary registrar because they said, hey, you can't use, you know, if it's your first name, Hadley, then we would be willing to add this, right, and, and maybe register it in the primary registrar. However, we just got kicked off, and we are in the secondary registrar, which gave us no protection, really, um, and Amazon does not accept that for uh, brand registry. So we had to go, this was a couple of years later, we had to actually work through a legal firm that then said, oh, well, this is an easy way around this objection that you got. All you need to do is apply for this, not using your individual names, but apply for it using an LLC that has no relation to your names. And then it was literally as easy as that. We went ahead, we mm -hmm. registered it, got it on the primary registrar. So I think that's one thing I would add for our listeners. Like, don't make the mistake of trying to do this on your own. Like, pay a little bit extra to make your process that much easier in working with somebody that actually has experience, knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, That's a great example of, of how it's nuanced, that it's not like, um, you know, overall the, the, the principles might seem simple, but there's some things that come from experience that, you know, to do it this way instead of that. Um, yeah. And that's usually, that's typically where it pays off to have someone who's handled, you know, let's say hundreds of marks to, to know, exactly how that um, how how it needs to be filed to avoid a problem like that. Yeah. And Rich, let's talk about is it important to get a trademark in international locations? Obviously, for Amazon brand, brand registry, you could actually get them from different um, international locations. But the main one that you obviously want because you're selling in the U.S. is from the U.S. But what's the advantage of going and getting these trademarks in other countries? Well, it, it really depends on where you're selling. So you want to have a trademark wherever it is that you are selling. If you are selling um, in Europe, then it would be good to have a European trademark because that's necessary to enforce it in Europe. Uh, so that's one thing. Um, the other thing is upside. And uh, I mean, we might talk a little bit more about this later, but, but, um, uh, but when you go to exit your company, um, having um, additional territories protected um, gives the appearance um, if not real, 
um, that you have that there's upside there, that there's, there's new opportunities and potential. So it's like, even if you're not selling in these other places, the fact that, well, you've got it protected in, um, in Europe and Japan and South Korea, for example, um, sh- says to someone who's acquiring your brand, oh, wow, like we can expand into those areas. Like that's kind of already set for us. And that, that amount of upside or opportunity um, is, is going to exceed by far what you spend on the international trademarks. So it's a clear choice. If you're thinking about exit, then international trademarks just make a lot of sense just from the standpoint of you'll probably get a hundred time ROI and what you spend on those international trademarks. Uh, that's fascinating. And I think that's a great tip for everybody to learn that's considering exiting in the future. You know, Rich, I've also heard that it's important to get a trademark um, in China, especially if you're trying to source product from China. I've heard, I haven't experienced this, but heard horror stories where your competitors go apply for your trademark in China, they get it, and then they can stop shipments from going out. And so you're effectively cut off from being able to ship anything or export anything out of China. Is that true? And what's been your experience there? Yeah, see, no, it's interesting because I haven't had a direct experience of that, too. And I've heard also, I have one person who said it happened to him. Uh, I haven't directly experienced it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the, um, it's it's definitely the case that tr- that China operates as a first come, first served jurisdiction um, where um, you can someone can go and register your trademark. Um, or even the trademark of a famous brand who hasn't bothered to trademark it there first and can cause all kinds of difficulties. Um, the the kind of the silver lining to it, though, is it, it seems, as I've seen more recently, is that there are procedures for undoing it, but it, it costs money. And very often it just makes a lot more sense if you're doing business in China, if you're having your product manufactured in China to just get a Chinese trademark to you know check that box. So, yeah, like still mostly anecdotal of, uh, you know, info on that topic. But it, 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 you know, again, considering the cost versus the 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 uh, um, ultimate difficulty, if you have to try and undo someone else's trademark, um, it seems worth doing. I think that's that's good insight as well. Rich, let's move into utility patents. And I think what we will do is we're going to lead up to how all of this intellectual property becomes super valuable when it comes time for exit, because Rich has been on the flip side. Uh, You know, he's had many companies come to him and have him vet the intellectual property of other companies that these bigger brands or companies are trying to acquire. And so Rich knows what these aggregators and other sellers and big brands are trying to, or what they're looking for, when it comes to intellectual property. So I think we're going to ramp up to that, Rich. But why okay. don't you give us a base understanding of what's the purpose of a utility patent? Okay, so a utility patent is what you would typically think of when you think of a patent. You think of someone, let's say, working in their garage, trying to improve something, trying to make it work better than other things that came before. Um, and so like that process uh, of, uh, you know, of, of trying to come up with something that's improved will result typically in different structure, different functionality for the product. And that's what gets protected with a utility patent. It's that structural difference. It's the structural difference that's there for a functional purpose 
that we um, that we embrace with utility patents. And so utility patents will protect um, an improvement in in a product like a physical product. It also be um, a composition um, s- such as uh, a um, uh, a supplement or a hair care product or a pharmaceutical, something that's an, a combination of new in- of ingredients, like not necessarily new ingredients, but a new combination of ingredients that could be protected with a utility patent. And then also a process, a process can be protected. Most typically that's computer software that gets protected as a process with a utility patent. So again, utility patent is for protecting uh, a functional product or um, when the difference in the product is functional in nature, as opposed to a design patent, which we talked about before, which is, it's just about the appearance of the product. It's just about the look of the product. And then that's what gets protected with the design. So yeah. That's design versus utility. That makes sense. And then ultimately, and then copyrights are helpful only if somebody's trying to r- literally replicate your exact same design, right? And that's something for more of like media or, you know, a piece of artwork. Is that correct? Yeah. Copyright is for content. So okay. copyright protects those, uh, those items of content. Um, such as you say, like a work of media or like images or, um, you know, text or sales copy or, um, um, you know, the, um, you know, graphic, say graphic design in a product like that could be protected with a copyright because um, the copyright is for the for the content. It's not for the idea underlying it, but it's for the content and the way that that content's expressed. OK, that makes sense. I think you've given our listeners a great understanding of, you know, the basics of what type of intellectual property there is and and what value that provides to the business. But the next question I want to add, Rich, is with established sellers, right, that are already doing well, they want to scale to eight figures and beyond. Why is this so important for them? Yeah, I mean, the, the uh, of course, there's the the obvious reason, which has to do with like creating a moat around your brands to prevent other people from coming close and ripping you off and giving you tools for enforcement. Um, but I think the, um, the best reason these days is when you have an IP portfolio, it just increases what you will get when you exit your company. It increases the size of the check that you, that will be written to you when you go to sell, sell your company. Um, and, um, and one of the astounding, Astounding things is that even if you get lousy IP, even if you get um, IP that's really doesn't quite measure up and doesn't um, and doesn't really prevent competitors from making a similar product, it's still going to increase what you get. The fact that you've got an IP portfolio is going to increase that check. Uh, and so maybe instead of getting, you know, um, six million, you get seven million. But that would be on an investment in IP of maybe, you know, I don't know, forty, fifty thousand dollars, let's say. So that's like a twenty time ROI. So even that's like I said, even when you've got lousy IP, the fact that you have it is going to make a difference. Um but but having good IP can make a tremendous difference. And that's where I've seen companies that were going to be paid a multiple of four get a multiple like like eight. Um, where um, it's based on the fact that that you do have the IP that prevents other people from coming into the field um, that um, that makes it that much more attractive 
to uh, to the company acquiring you and makes it worth them paying that much more. Uh, in which case, then, like if you're um, if you are increasing the multiple like that, it could be a hundred time ROI on the money you spend on IP. So yeah. that's the value of getting good IP. Um, but the uh, I, I think maybe the takeaway lesson though is any IP at all is going to be an ROI if you get to exit. Now, not every company gets to exit, not every brand exits, but if you do, you will definitely get way more than you spent on IP paid back to you at that point. Fascinating. Rich, how much does it typically cost then for each of those different IP, you know, protections that we talked about, trademarks, utility pants, design pants, and copyrights? How much should sh- should somebody be budgeting or expecting to pay for something like that. That way they know if they're being taken to the ringer or if they're getting hey, then maybe this is a little too cheap. But what would you say is like the going rate for that, those protections? Yeah, I would say, for, um, you know, copyrights are, are the least expensive, um, maybe around a thousand dollars for copyright to have that handled um, professionally. Uh, trademark, um, maybe um, two or three thousand um, dollars. Design patent, um, maybe um Roughly three to five thousand dollars for design patent. Utility patent is always going to be north of ten thousand um, dollars. Maybe on average something like fifteen thousand. Um, so clearly, utility patents are are the most expensive, and that's more questionable whether it's worth getting. Um, if you're getting it for that asset value, again, that makes it kind of a no brainer in almost every situation. Um, but if you're looking toward protection, if like you know, granted, all brands and all businesses have limited resources and you have to use them. Um, you can't they can't all be a, about kind of um, saving for later. Um, right. Just like we can't always we say like, hey, you know, if if I if I'm able if I was able to put, um, you know, you know, ten thousand dollars a year away when I'm 18, that's going to be, you know, two million dollars when it's time to to um, to retire, retire. Right. And yep. like we know that type of thing. But, you know, there's just no way we're going to get put that money away when we're 18. So similar thing with utility patents. We might know that, hey, like we will always get our money back if we get to exit. But some utility patents are very narrow, very limited. Um, they're not going to have much value while we're operating a company. They're not going to have much value mm-hmm. in terms of, of slowing down the competition if it's a very limited patent. So I think the decision to do a, a utility patent or not is one that needs to be made carefully according to the resources you have available and according to what is possible with that utility patent. Is it going to protect an overall concept or is it just going to be for a specific variation? Because both of those are possible, right? When it comes to trademarks, um, well, first of all, when it comes to design patents, I think it it pays to have a design patent. If you think your product's going to be, um, you know, at least, you know, five figures a month, then it, it pays to do the design uh, because just being able to shut that down, uh, shut down a competitor for a short period of time is going to um, get you your money back on that. So um, design patents make a lot of sense. Not quite a no brainer, but that but um, should be carefully considered. Trademarks are a no brainer. Trademarks always do do them right. Get the trademarks, because also when it comes to acquisition, if you don't have the trademark, it can be a deal killer. If it turns out mm. that um, that that there is is a lack of clarity around whether you've got the rights to this name or not, or whether someone else might be able to cause you an issue, 
that's going to be something that can have um, an acquiring company walk away from the deal. So it always pays to get your trademark ducks in order um, at an early stage. Um, and then copyrights, if you have content, uh, again, just makes makes a whole lot of sense because they're they're pretty inexpensive. Yeah. No, I think you gave everybody a, a great summary of what they should be focusing on and why. But yeah, I, I think the most important thing too is that you can't wait too long, right? Especially if you can't say, hey, I'm going to sell my business tomorrow and I'm also going to apply for my trademark tomorrow because like you mentioned, it's like 18 months right now to right. actually get that trademark uh, approved. Heaven forbid you get some objection and, you know, it goes through a really tough process getting that approved. But I think the other thing, and we were talking about this before we hit the record button on the podcast here, is that there is a time limit or a time period when you can apply for patents. And do you mind sharing that with the audience, Rich? Because I want to make sure that if somebody's come out with a great product, sure be unfortunate for them to come to you five years down the road and say, Hey, I have this amazing product. And you're like, yeah, that is cool and unique, but sorry, you can't do that. What, what's the rules? Yeah, I wouldn't want to see that happen to anyone um, here, anyone listening, because that's happened way too many times during my career. It's that um, it, it makes a lot of sense as an entrepreneur that you um, spend your money on what isn't what um, situations are in front of you, what opportunities are in front of you. So very often um, entrepreneurs will look at um at the possibility of patenting something and say, Hey, that's pretty expensive. Maybe I'll, I'll do it later. If things go well, um, then I'll do it later. Let me launch the product and then I'll see. Um, the, the problem is that under us patent law, once you make it public in any way, um, one year from that date, it's then becomes too late to apply for a patent. Um, and kind of like you mentioned, you know, five years later when people say, well, you know, we've got this great product. It's been doing fantastic. We need to get this protected. Then they come to me and I have to ask, well, when did you start selling? And they tell me that it's been on sale for five years or even 18 months, you know, and yeah. in which case I have to tell them uh, it's too late. You can't ever apply for a patent. And, and most of the time people will say, well, how could I have possibly known that? And mm. unfortunately, you know, there's no way unless they're listening to your podcast, Josh, you know, like they they would not know that that's uh, that that's going to trip them up. Um, or um, so that's, I think, maybe one of the most important things that everyone should know about patents is that you lose the right um, by by making it public without having applied for a patent. Um, something even worse is that in a lot of the world, you don't even have a year. Um, once you make it public, it's immediately too late to apply for a patent. Those are called mm. absolute novelty countries. And um, so um, the so the situation really is that you want to explore whether it makes sense to apply for a patent before you launch, before you make it public. Um, yeah. And sometimes it, it won't make sense. And then you just you move forward and you don't look back. Um, you know, and other times if it does, then then um it's important to take the steps that are necessary to make sure that you, you get it filed, you get it protected and you don't lose the opportunity to, uh, to ever get a patent on it. Yeah. I, I think that's some important words of caution for everybody. They need to make sure they make, make that mental note. Like you've only got one year from initial public disclosure. So get your ducks in a row. I think we're fortunate, you know, one year's not long, but it's better than having to have it, you know, before you disclose it anywhere. So we'll, 
we'll thank uh you know the stars for the year that we do get i guess yeah so rich i want to hear your experience and maybe some case studies that you can share you don't have to disclose specific brands but what have you seen as you've evaluated for an aggregator that's going to acquire a potential brand? What is it that you're looking for from a legal standpoint as you assess their portfolio of IP? And then on the flip side, as you help prepare people for exit, right? What are you doing to help people get their ducks in a row so that, again, since you've seen both sides of the story, people are coming with an amazing portfolio of IP that, to your point, if I could take a, you know, my multiple goes from four to eight, heck yeah. Like wh what do I need to do to take the multiple that high? And, and IP, it sounds like is that significant. So do you have any case studies you could share? Um, yeah. You know, of course I have to be careful about that. Like sometimes with them, um, if I give too much info, then um, people could figure out what we're referring to. Like you'd be surprised sure. how small a, a, an industry it is and how much, um, you know, how, how, like, uh, you know, how, um, it, well, it's a small world and people kind of know a lot of these scenarios, but just kind of, uh, I'll, I'll give you like some examples here. So like often what happens is, um, when they come to me, there's already an LOI, you know, there's already a letter of intent where they're intending to, um, pay a certain amount of money, uh, for the, um, for the business. Um, you know, subject to the due diligence they do, subject to kind of digging into the facts. So a lot of times it's kind of goes like this is like they say, well, we're looking to acquire this brand because they have the patent on the blank that does blank. Mm -hmm. Like as if, you know, they have a patent on something in a very broad um, fashion where it's like, you know, anything, any blank that does blank, like that's what the patent is for. And I kind of, where I come from is, well, I'll be the judge of that. Yeah. So like um, then I dig into it um, and it kind of could only go in one direction. It could only go bad. It could either get confirmed or it could be worse. Right. Like, it, you know, it's not typical that I'm going to then look at the patent or patent portfolio and say, well, it's even better than you thought. Um, uh, you know, although that, that, that has happened once that I could think of. Um, mm. But in, in general, um, yeah, it's like it, it typically starts out where the, um, you know, the, the seller, they they even think they've got the patent on the on the blank. Um, so they like they are portraying it that way because like that's as best as they understand it. Yeah. But once I get to dig into it, I could see, well, no, you don't exactly have a patent on the blank that does blank. You have a patent on X, Y and Z that does blank. So you have a patent on some of the details that are inherent in that, you know, like you might say, um, you know, I have the patent on the, the screw top um, beverage container. And I would say, well, no, like your patent actually is limited to a certain way in which, um, you know, the, the threads of the cap engage the threads on the bottle. Mm. And like there was something that made it distinct and that's what led to the patent. So then now the patent is limited to that thing that made it distinct. Yeah. So very often that's how it go. Um, and so just flipping over to the lesson side of things, I think it's important to, to really understand what your own patent is for, like really understand kind of what are the limitations to it, because there's no point in going of, of selling it beyond what you can deliver. Um, and uh, it just makes more sense. Cause again, even 
having having a patent portfolio will increase the value that you get. Um, but um, in most cases, when it gets to due diligence, it's going to be disappointment and it's going to lead to renegotiation. In other words, negotiation down from mm. the offer that um, that you got. So like th- that's kind of a good way to encapsulate a lot of it. But, you know, then again, I'm actually really surprised at how much kind of gung ho energy sometimes is um, is present on behalf of the aggregators where like they don't even want to hear the truth. They're just like, well, yeah, we're buying the patent. We're buying the company with the patent. And we're excited to buy this brand. We've already written the press release to announce that we acquire them. And like they yeah. don't really they want to find a way for it to be what they thought it was. So on the one hand, I want to say, like, I think it pays to be clear of what you have and be honest about it. But on the other hand, there are definitely situations where nobody seems to care. Uh, they just want to get the deal done. Um, although that, is fascinating. that has been was more the case in 2021 than it was this year. Yeah, very fascinating. I think those are, thanks for sharing those examples with us and just kind of helping everybody understand you know, what's at stake. And I think all the more reason, Rich, to make sure that if you are applying for design patents, utility patents and things like that, the more you have them buttoned up professionally so that there's fewer holes that people can pick into it. Right. Um, Or that it's more encompassing. Right. That's going to make it that much more challenging for a competitor to, you know, have to go around that patent. I think it's well worth the time in speaking with an attorney like yourself that is well-versed in understanding, reviewing design patents because, and utility patents, because that's one of your jobs is like, all right, so how do I go around this? Right. Yeah. I mean, um, at times, like, like one of the questions that we're dealing with is like, what, well, first of all, whether, um, whether someone is actually infringing. Um, so, and it could be that they get their listing shut down based upon someone else's patent and then the question is, well, are you actually infringing? Um, and then if it seems that they are, then one of the solutions might be to, um, you know, determine what the limits are of the patent and then see what we can do to go beyond the limits. You know, sometimes it's not really possible because what was protected is actually the thing that's important to the product. Um, and other times it, the there are things that, um, might still make it a reasonable pro, um, um, product, but would take it outside the scope of what the patent is all about. So, yeah, so sometimes what we're looking at is designing around what exists. And um, so, you know, it, it pays to, um, you know, on the other side, it pays to have a patent that's as strong as possible to prevent uh, ways in which people can get around it. Um, and then on the other hand, if you're a seller and you're making products that are similar to others and you discover that someone has a patent, um, it's important to have an infringement evaluation done and figure out, well, what exactly would make it infringe and then what could make the difference in having it not be an infringement issue. Yeah. Rich, you're a wealth of knowledge, and I think everybody's going to walk away from this podcast much more enlightened around IP protection. I've got a, uh, my last kind of wrap-up questions that I do want to ask you. But before I get to those, I do want to kind of summarize what are some actionable steps that people can take moving away from what they've learned in this podcast today. So I love to leave the audience with three actionable takeaways from each episode. 
Here are the three takeaways that I noted, Rich. Let me know if I'm missing something. But number one, I would say you've got to make sure that you have a trademark. If you haven't registered your trademark, go register your trademark. And especially if you're um, sourcing products from China, go get the trademark in China as well. And then any other international locations that you are currently selling in or you see the potential of selling into, it is well worth the time of acquiring those trademarks. Action item number two is looking at your portfolio of products and figuring out if you can acquire a utility patent or a design patent. I think that you've, you've only got one year to do that. And so if it's, you know, if the past is in the past at this point, then start focusing on those new products that you're going to be launching and get in touch with somebody like Rich so that you can vet maybe one of your new ideas and product launches that you have coming up. And maybe you can evaluate how successful the launch is before you actually apply for that pen, but make sure that you do that within one year. And then I think the third takeaway is understanding that IP protection is not just about like limiting your competition in the existing marketplaces around the world right now, or specifically in the U.S., your IP protection is going to be that much more uh, valuable and have a higher ROI if you are looking to exit. So for people that are looking to potentially exit their business, I think they need to start giving more credit and paying more attention to their IP. Is there anything you think I'm missing here, Rich? Um, yeah, no, that's that's perfect. And um, I'll just add a, a, a little on to it. First of all, with regard to the last part, um, if you're if you're scaling your brand, if you're growing your brand, um, I mean, you said it's important for them to look at their IP. Um, I think it's important to have an IP budget. Um, I think I think mm -hmm. as your company grows, you should have a budget that increases over time, um, at, you know, or increases as the company gets bigger, um, just already allocated and set towards this so that you can seek to create those assets um, as your business grows. Uh, and, um, and that would lead to the ROI that we've been speaking of, you know, and, and just also, um, tagging on into that and looking at IP and understanding IP. I think it's really helpful for entrepreneurs to understand IP. I think the more, you know, the better the decisions that you'll make, um, and a little knowledge will go a long way. Um, I would say, I mean, there are some great, I've got great videos on my website and also, um, just you know, shameless plug, um, is, you know, the book that you mentioned. So, I mean, it's kind of like, um, uh, it's the ABA consumer guide to obtaining a patent. It's about a four hour read, 20 bucks on Amazon. Uh, if you want to learn more about IP within about four hours, it'll put you in the 99th percentile of what other sellers know about, uh, about patents and IP and how to utilize it. So, you know, that or, but the bigger message is really just learn about IP. However you do, Learn about IP because a little bit of time invested in learning about IP will go a long way. Yep. I think those are words well spoken there, Rich. Last question I have for you, Rich, is you are one of the most well-connected people, I would argue, in the Amazon or just e-commerce space in general. If there's a conference, Rich has probably been there, done that. And if you are planning to go to a future conference, Rich is most likely going to be there and he's probably going to be speaking. So, Make sure you go watch one of his sessions if he is speaking at one of the sessions because he is fantastic and you'll love to get to know him. But Rich, you're, you're so well connected. I think our audience would be interested in hearing from you. Who are some of the people that 
people should be paying attention to, right? If they're maybe newer to the space or they want to hitch their wagon to other really successful individuals, who are those people that, uh, you know, people in e-commerce should be paying attention to? Well, of course, they should be listening to your, your podcast. Uh, but also, um, yeah, I mean, uh, Kevin King always has some of the, the best, most actionable content out there. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's, it's very worthwhile content. Um, you know, Brandon Young also, like, he's just, um, you know, he, he runs a group with um, uh, a couple thousand people that, um, you know, and he gets them some of the best information. Um, you know, I'm also a fan of, of, um, of Titan group. You know, I think that they're set up in a way that they really help mentor and bring people along, um, in their, um, mastermind, um, in, in their mastermind groups and, and like they help people at different levels of selling. Um, and, um, yeah, um, Norm Farrar is another great source of information. Um, and, uh, and also Danny McMillan, uh, seller sessions like these are the ones that just pop into my mind immediately. And I apologize if I didn't think of someone else there, I know, but I, I think this, those are some spot, great, Rich. you did, yeah. you did, but hopefully I pulled out some good info on the spot. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you did. All of those names are great people. We actually had Kevin King on the podcast just recently. So go check out that episode. He dropped some amazing knowledge bombs on all of us. That's an exciting episode. Well, Rich, thank you again for joining us. I hope our audience walks away much more knowledgeable about IP. And I, w I would invite people to go check out your website. So, Rich, where can people find you and learn more about what you have to offer? Okay, well, um, if you go to goldsteinpatentlaw.com, there are great resources there for learning about the patent process, including videos. Um, you could check out the book I wrote, um, which I talked about a moment ago, The ABA Consumer Guide to Obtaining a Patent on Amazon, um, my podcast, Innovations and Breakthroughs, where I, I really kind of follow the path that someone takes of, of having an idea or a product idea and bringing it toward launch. Um, and, you know, you mentioned about the, the um, um, connected part and attending lots of events. Um, you know, if, if you want to see more about the events that I'm going to, like things I've been to and where I'm going next and um, events and parties that I'm organizing, um, I actually have something set up for you to get on that list. That's um, goldsteinpatentlaw.com slash events. Um, so if you want to sign up to just hear more about those, um, that's how you do it. And, uh, and that's really about it, Josh. I love it. Well, thanks so much, Rich. It was fun having you on the show today. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.